we are heading into week four of the college football season. It's crazy. Already week four. We waited so long to get into this. Welcome to the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn. With me, as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire and known Florida Sunshine Pumper. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kick things off there, Tyler, uh, with the we Tennessee Florida game this weekend. I know you said pay attention to Florida. You know, I took Florida plus the points in this game, and and I, and I look smart. Uh, but mostly, I'm I'm going to say that my reasoning was I didn't trust Tennessee in this offense, uh, and it's looking like it's not so plug and play, especially against that that Florida defense. As we saw, they fall down early, seven nothing. Uh, it felt like the only thing that really hurt Florida this weekend, this past weekend was the kicking of Adam Mahalik. Uh, he had two blocks, but Trey Smack seemed to seem seem like he had it uh, going for the Florida Gators. That really seemed to be the only problem uh, as they take down Tennessee once again in Gainesville, a place that the balls just cannot win. Yep, very, very easy to be a Florida sunshine pumper today. Uh, you know, look, huge win for Billy Napier, a big proof of concept kind of win for him, you know, beating a ranked team, you know, one you haven't lost to at home since 2003, a rivalry game, which he hadn't, he didn't win a rivalry game last year. So this is his first time beating a rival at Florida. Just a, a really nice win. And, and it played out pretty much exactly the way that I think Billy Napier in his perfect world wants to win a football game. Um, I mean, first of all, I said to keep an eye on it last week, and they they uh, made me look good. The defense was fantastic in this game. Um, just really went in with, I think, an excellent game plan for slowing them down. Uh, and it worked really well. You know, they gave up a couple big plays. Um, you know, obviously that one to go up 7 nothing. Uh, you know, they had a quick drive there. But beyond that, I mean, they really were not giving up much uh, on defense in this game. And then, you know, on the offensive side, the run game really was, was much better than it had been, uh, especially in the Utah game. They were really able to establish the run here. I thought the offensive line uh, looked much improved. You know, Florida got a starting center back in this game. Kingsley Aguakin uh, missed the first two games. I don't know how much that can be directly attributed to his return, but, you know, he's the best player in that group, most experienced guy in that group. Certainly made a big difference. You know, Trevor Etienne had a great game running the ball, and I thought Graham Mertz was, you know, he did everything they asked him to. He was incredibly efficient. He currently leads the SEC in completion percentage. Um, And, you know, didn't make any mistakes, hit every throw. They kind of shut the passing offense down in the second half. But, you know, it was really good. And like you said, the kicking game was the only problem. And they ended up ultimately making a change there uh, midway through the game. And it was fine from there on out. So just a really great win for Tennessee. I mean, for Florida over Tennessee and on the Tennessee side, man, I mean, you're right. This just does not look like the same offense it was last year. They're really missing the personnel that they lost. And Joe Milton has a lot of talent, but he's not Hendon Hooker, and he's not the same at hitting those short and intermediate routes, running that offense. It just, it's not, it does not look right. You know, it's really easy to shut down that uh, passing attack for Florida when, you know, you have a twenty-six to seven lead at halftime, uh, and ultimately they rode that twenty-point uh, second quarter really to victory in this one. So that, that was easy, but you're right. When you look at Tennessee, yeah, hit. Hendon Hooker is missed. Jalen Hyatt might be the most missed man there in Knoxville because Brew McCoy is just not up to snuff when it comes to uh, what he's able to do. He did have a 55-yard touchdown late in that game once it was well in hand. Uh, But looking at that, it's tough. Uh, But we're going to stay in the SEC, and we're going to go to the West in a game that you covered with LSU, Mississippi State, 
And, and I had to say, after watching that game, what happened to Mississippi State's offense? I mean, just an absolute no-call, no-show. They should be fired. Now, I know Kevin Barbe wants to run the football, uh, but taking the ball out of Will Rogers' hands doesn't seem like that is going to be a way for them to compete in the SEC. And on the LSU side, that offense really did whatever they wanted, especially when it came to Jaden Daniels throwing to Malik Neighbors. Yeah, I mean, this was honestly about as perfect a game as I've seen played on both sides of the ball um, ever. I mean, LSU, Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors were connecting all day long. Neighbors finished with like 236 yards in this game, and like 180 of those came in the first half. I mean, he was unreal. Jaden Daniels was like 30 of 34, uh, most efficient game of his career by far. LSU was able to run the ball again. You know, really was doing whatever they wanted on offense in this game. And defensively, just completely shut down Mississippi State. Um, you know, LSU had struggled to get the pass rush going in the first couple of weeks. Not a problem. Uh, last night they had, or yesterday or Saturday, they had four sacks in that game. Uh, and like you said, I mean, this offense at Mississippi State, I understand. Look, Zach Ronette was put in a tough spot here, right? Like, he's inheriting a program that's not his. It's got an identity that's not at all in the way he wants to build it. And he's not Mike Leach, so he can't just continue the air raid you know seamlessly like that's just not going to work so i understand the change but at some point you got to understand the personnel you have on your roster and realize that what they're trying to do now just is not working um you know becoming a run heavy team joquavius marks only had like seven carries in this game and he had success but there's only so much running the ball you're going to do when you get down 17 nothing in the first quarter they're not letting Will Rogers air it out. He's under a lot of pressure. This this looks like a really bad team right now. Going to be, I think it's going to be a tough transition year for them. It's it is definitely going to be a tough transition, and you know it it starts with with having an honest conversation with yourself. Um, and, and really, Zach Arnett should be having an honest conversation with Kevin Barbie. Like, okay, like I understand we want to run the football here, but we have Will Rogers one of the best quarterbacks returning in the SEC, and he's a shell of his former self running the football, uh, as we saw. And we know LSU is talented. We knew that going into this game. Uh, I don't think anybody really saw a, a was that, a 27-point victory in this game. Yeah. Uh, and really, yeah. But a guy that we've talked about a lot, Malik Neighbors, <laughs> pay attention to number eight this season uh, because him and Jaden Daniels, who are, are continue to just to build upon their report that they had last year. Uh, another breakout year coming uh, for Malik Neighbors. Uh, let's talk about Florida State. You know, LSU's opponent in the opening game, and they really were able to take advantage of LSU in that game, especially in the, in the second half, as they were able to hold LSU scoreless till late in the game. Now, they had a game against Boston College, and most people would think that this is going to be an easy win. But the fact that this was a two-point game in the fourth quarter – uh, just speaks to what Boston College was able to do. But honestly, you know, it, it brings up a lot of questions about Florida State, uh, potentially if, you know, because we did see Jordan Travis go down, and it makes you wonder if that injury kind of, you know, helped or, or not really helped, uh, but hurt that offense in this game because they really weren't able to do what we expected to see from a Seminoles offense. Yeah, pretty surprisingly sloppy game from FSU, I thought. You know, considering they're playing a BC team that, you know, lost week one to Northern Illinois, um, almost lost week two to an FCS team in Holy Cross, kind of needed a fortuitous rain delay to kind of kill the momentum they had going, and they still almost lost even after that. So 
a BC team that's got all sorts of problems still almost pulled off the huge win here. I mean, look, yeah, like you said, Jordan Travis went down in this game, got nicked up. He comes back in. I don't know if he was at 100% uh, when he did that. So that probably played a role. Uh, I mean, you know, this was a game that was kind of tight early. FSU sort of pulled away and looked like that was going to be that. And then BC sort of mounts a comeback, gets within two, had a chance to pull it off at the end. You know, they had the ball down two in the final minutes, could have driven down to either, you know, take a field goal lead or, or touchdown, take the lead. But I think, yeah, I'd say it's concerning for FSU. Um, I'm not like reading too much into it, but luckily we don't really have to worry too much about that because we'll have a lot of our answers about this team uh, next week when they go to play Clemson on the road, uh, which we'll talk about on Wednesday. Biggest story out of this game is Thomas Castellanos. Um, you know, yeah. what he was able to do, throwing the football, running the football. He was their best runner. Uh, very similar to a Jaden Daniels at LSU, just the way that he played the game. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they look you know, moving forward, can they build upon this? You know, I'm not a moral victory guy. I never am. You know, I don't want to look at it and go, oh, we lost the game, but we looked good. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're judged on wins and losses. Uh, but you had to like the performance, um, and it makes you wonder, you know, how is BC going to go from here uh, as they try to build upon uh, an impressive performance, even though they did lose the game. Now, one game that was that had probably the greatest ending, of the weekend, a 61-yard field goal only because uh, Eli Drinkwitz made a horrible mistake uh, in the game against Kansas State. But uh, Harrison Mavis, the thicker kicker, 61 yards to beat Kansas State as Missouri uh, stays perfect, three and zero on the season. But uh, this is a state. I think this is a statement win for Drink uh, in a season that he needs um, a really good season to stay there in Columbia. Yeah, I agree. I think this was about as close to a must win um, as a game, you know, against a ranked opponent where you're an underdog as it can get, because like you said, he really did need a signature win and it's going to be hard to get those in the sec this year. You know, those are going to come at a premium, even in a potentially down year for the conference. So yeah, I agree. I think you nailed it. Uh, You know, Drinkwitz, the conversation right now is a lot different um, if Harrison Mevis doesn't bail him out with what was probably the most impressive college kick I've ever seen. Um, good from 61, probably would have been good for more. Incredible. But, yeah, like you said, uh, pretty boneheaded delay of game uh, penalty coming out of a timeout for Missouri that made it a 61-yarder instead of a 56-yarder. Would have looked pretty bad for Drinkwitz if he missed it and they blew that game at home, which was a you know really exciting back-and-forth game. But – didn't happen, gets the big momentum win, and we'll see if they can kind of use that to build off something. Yeah, for Kansas State, I think they're fine. Um, you know, the loss obviously is going to sting, uh, but they're, they're going to begin Big 12 play, and as long as they go perfect, they have an opportunity to defend their title. But once again, uh, Missouri, just the way they played, and uh, shout out to Luther Burden, who, who once again showed why he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school there in Missouri. Uh, I think he's only going to build upon uh, this performance, and he's almost matched last year's numbers uh, if you look at his season totals. Uh, So watch out for Luther Burden this season for Missouri as they try uh, to make some noise in the SEC East. And staying in there in the SEC East, another game that was massive, uh, we're talking about South Carolina-Georgia, a game in which South Carolina early on looked like they were ready to go blow for blow. They start with a 14-3 to lead at half, uh, and it just unravels for them. As we've seen time and time again with this Georgia football team, having a lead on them in halftime doesn't always 
mean a win. In fact, they've only lost once in five chances in the last several years where they were losing at halftime. And once again, that offense came out, the defense stepped up, and uh, South Carolina loses another tough one to Georgia. Yeah, I mean, you know, give South Carolina credit, though. That's not a lot of games they've trailed at halftime in the last few years. So that's a kind of a feat in and of itself. Uh, look, I thought they had a really good game plan coming into this game, um, offensively especially. They moved the ball on Georgia in the first half. They, you know, had a couple touchdown drives. They took a 14-3 to lead to the locker room. That's really good. And, you know, obviously Georgia comes back, pulls away sort of a frustrating way for that game to play out, but also kind of what we expected ultimately. I'd give Shane Beamer and the staff a lot of credit, though. I thought they handled themselves well in this game. I mean, look, they were four touchdown underdogs coming in. So it was not that kind of game at all, and it easily could have been. So I think think my takeaways here are, you know, cautiously optimistic about South Carolina. Um, You know, probably not going to compete in the East at this point, but still, you know, a, a dangerous team that could catch someone. Uh, napping later in the later in the year and then you know on the Georgia side I think they look human to an extent I I mean I think they're still really good and I think they're probably still the favorite to come out of the SEC at this moment just with some of the struggles that other teams have had but they don't look like the same team you know I think we're starting to kind of see that you know the talent loss is finally affecting them at least a little bit so I think this is a gettable team I'm not saying someone's gonna because if you look at the schedule it's not that hard but I think that someone could knock them down yeah, it's going to take a strong performance. And uh, looking at this next team, I don't think they're the team that's going to do it. We're talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, if you watch this rain-soaked game against South Florida, uh, if they went up against a team who had an actual offense in this, uh, they would have been in trouble. Uh, Taylor Buckner does not look like the answer at Alabama. So, Tyler, I just want you kind of your opinion. How shocked were you with how poor Tyler Buckner played in this Alabama team played, you know, if it wasn't for Ty Simpson, they, maybe they don't win this football game, uh, a 3-3 game at halftime. You know, I wasn't really shocked, and that's the problem here. Look, I I think that the decision that Nick Saban made to bench Jalen Milrow after the Texas loss, I'll be honest, was really surprising to me um, and seems very, like, uncharacteristic for the way he normally operates. I mean, Milrow wasn't great in that game, and he had some crucial mistakes that really cost you, but I thought he also made plays. I mean, I think he he you can see the potential with him. Like, you can see how it would potentially work well. Um, you know, he said during the game on Saturday that Milrow had the worst week uh, practice of the three guys. Milrow didn't play at all in this game. Buckner got the start, struggled a lot, um, looked kind of like the guy we saw struggle at Notre Dame in his career. And then Ty Simpson comes in, who's the former five-star, barely gotten to play uh, in his career there. You know, sparks things a little bit, but still not, you know, overtly impressive. This game was three to three, like late into the game. Alabama kind of scores a garbage time touchdown to make it 17 to three, make it look a little bit more respectable. This was an ugly, ugly game. Alabama just looks like not the same team that we've been used to. I mean, they're not as physical I mean, they've got a lot of problems on offense. And I think that, you know, I think they made the right choice the first time with Milrow. I think they're probably going to have to circle back to that. And I don't think that's the best solution. But this team has problems, and it's becoming pretty apparent. And I think that they're going to lose a couple games in SEC play. Yeah, it's really tough if you look at it. You know, Ty uh, obviously didn't see – I mean, he played better. Don't worry. He was better than what we saw at Buckner. Um, but I, and, you know, also looking back at this game and how it played out, I don't know how much I can put on actual Buckner because of 
the conditions they were playing in. Uh, but at the same time, he had ample opportunity even at Notre Dame, and he never seemed really comfortable with that Tommy Reese offense or, or just didn't have the talent available to, to really make a difference for, for that offense. So that, that's a tough one. Uh, but I definitely have to say um, they're, they're going to have to figure it out. And maybe going back to Jalen Milrow is that, um, you know, maybe it was a wake up call for Milrow and we'll find out in the coming weeks. All right. Now we're going to go over to the ACC big 10 matchup, Minnesota golden Gophers going up against the North Carolina Tar Heels and really Minnesota just didn't have enough defense in this game. And, and Drake May was really able to make some plays uh, for this offense and ultimately get them uh, an 18 point victory. You know, it, the, the score or the game felt closer than the score. Uh, but at the same time, you had to really like what the North Carolina offense under Drake May was able to do as they put this game away late. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to say about this one. I mean, it honestly kind of just played out the way I, I pretty much thought it might uh, when we previewed it. Look, yeah, I mean, Minnesota just doesn't really have the pieces offensively. They actually ran the ball in this game pretty well, but it wasn't just they weren't explosive enough to keep up with North Carolina. Drake May, I think, obviously can make a lot of plays. I think he's looked a little bit erratic, honestly, so far to start the year. I mean, he was like good in this game. He was like 29 of 40 for 414 yards or something like that. But he also had two interceptions. Uh, he had two in the South Carolina uh, win, too. So, I mean, I, I obviously this offense has a really high ceiling with Drake May. I, the thing I'm watching is when they play a team, you know, a tougher defensive team, will they be able to take advantage of, of those mistakes, you know, more easily than Minnesota did in this one? Yeah, I mean, you really look at it in those two drives, back-to-back drives where they get the ball off an interception from Drake May. On one of them, they do get a punt where they only had to drive 11 yards. The next one, they punt the ball away after going only 19 yards. So, you know, even when they're getting those opportunities, the offense really can't do anything. And and so, you know, you looked at this game. And, yeah, he's erratic, two, two interceptions. Uh, but they got the job done, lived, lived to fight another day, and we'll just kind of see how that plays out for them moving forward. Now, the game that everybody wanted to watch, and this had a late, late kickoff, Colorado State, Colorado. And I'm going to tell you, when, when I'm watching this game and in the fourth quarter, Colorado's needing a late rally to force overtime. That was the biggest shock of anything in, the, in this game it, in Boulder. Yeah, uh, staying up to watch this game in its entirety on the East Coast was kind of brutal, not going to lie. But it was a great game, much better game than we were expecting it to be, I think, uh, certainly than I was expecting it to be. I think that this is, I think, the first time that we've seen – I don't think Colorado State's the best team that Colorado has played so far, but I do think it's the first time we've seen a coaching staff have a really good plan uh, for them. Even you know being disadvantaged talent-wise, I thought Colorado State – attack them in the way you have to if you're going to beat them. I mean, we saw Colorado, we knew the play in the trenches was going to be the weakness this year, and it is. I mean, Shador got sacked four times in this game. He was under a lot of pressure. That offensive line is not yet where it needs to be. Um, and, you know, Colorado State also moved the ball really well in this game, I thought. You know, I think it was kind of a preview for the way that Colorado is probably going to struggle when they start playing higher quality opponents beginning next week when they hit the road to play Oregon. But I mean, Colorado state should have won this game. It's hard for, I don't want to like, it's hard for me to give any moral victories to like Jay Norvell and Colorado state here because 
it was really frustrating to watch. I felt like they were not nearly as aggressive as they needed to be, um, you know, down the stretch. I, I mean, I, first of all, I would have gone for two in that first overtime period and try to end it the way that game was, had was trending. I mean, you go to overtime because you let them drive 98 yards down the field on you to score to tie it. And really even more than that, because they had a bunch of procedural penalties. So your defense is not holding up. I don't know why you'd keep that game going, but they did. It obviously did not pay off Uh frustrating loss, but I think it showed that Colorado still has some problems that are going to keep them from being like an elite team this year. And they better figure it out real quick, because like you said, Oregon next week, week after USC, uh, they're going to get tested really quickly here um and we'll kind of see if it unravels i mean even right now at three and oh you know it's got to be a win uh for the colorado team that only won one game last year obviously their expectations are much higher but looking at this team yeah there were some struggle and i agree with you i think in that first overtime you go for two you know try to steal it right then and there rather than giving them the opportunities because the one thing about colorado is they're talented enough the more opportunities you give them they're going to eventually cash in you can ask Nebraska, who held them in check for a good chunk of that first half last week. And eventually, uh, once Colorado got going, that was all she wrote. Uh, but we will see how they look against an Oregon team who played a, a game on the road against Texas Tech uh, pretty tough. Uh, we're able to get some – the defense was able to step up and get them some opportunities. So we're going to see if they're able to turn over Shador Sanders. One big key in this game that – uh, uh, heading into next week with the Oregon game. And I know we're going to talk about this on our second show of the week as we preview the games. Uh, but Travis Hunter being out for three weeks was announced today by Carl Reed of 24-7 Sports. That's going to be tough for uh, for a Colorado team that used him on offense and defense. So that's going to be big and something to monitor. Uh, all right, now we're going to head to the backyard brawl. Tyler, what was your key takeaway here? Like from a team, a game that I didn't expect when I looked at Pitt, West Virginia, if anybody was going to struggle offensively and defensively, I thought it was going to be West Virginia, not Pitt in this game. And, and Pitt, uh, I don't know I don't know what to say, but uh, looking at the way that this team is, is running with Phil Jerkovich uh, running the offense, they need some help in a desperate way because they were absolutely shut down by West Virginia. Yeah, the ugliness of this game didn't really surprise me that much because, I mean, Pitt – themselves coming off a pretty ugly loss to Cincinnati, who in turn lost this week in overtime to Miami, Ohio, and ended like a 16-game winning streak in that rivalry series. So some problems for Pitt. Uh, I'd say my main takeaway here is really, really good win for West Virginia. I mean, you didn't look great doing it, but look, beating a rival at home, that's good progress for Neil Brown, a guy who desperately needed a win like that. And you did it with you know your quarterback getting hurt and Garrett Green. Uh, so you know, you managed to kind of weather that storm. I would say, I think, you know, we'll see how things play out with Neil Brown, but I think as I've kind of hinted when we talked about this in the past, he's still got a pretty hefty buyout. They've got some institutional problems that are bigger than football they're worrying about right now. I think they might be looking for an excuse to keep this guy. Um, So he's starting to sort of lay the groundwork for that excuse. We'll see if it continues. But, you know, on the pit side, maybe it's time that we need to have that conversation or at least start having it about Pat Narduzzi. I mean, you have one good year where your offense is electric with Kenny Pickett and you decide after that that you're going to part ways with your offensive coordinator and Mark Whipple because of you know apparent philosophical differences. And since then, the product they put on the field on offense has just been horrible. I mean, Phil Dracovic just does not have it. 
I don't know why he's not, doesn't look like the guy he used to at Boston college, but he just doesn't have it. This team has a lot of problems. I mean, I, I don't think Narduzzi is particularly in danger. I think he's kind of asserted himself pretty well in that job and he's kind of a native son, but I, this just does not seem like a program trending in the right direction. Yeah. Especially with how the offense was, I mean, your starting quarterback throws three interceptions, nothing you can do offensively. Meanwhile, West Virginia didn't even try to throw the ball. They threw the ball, I think, a combined 11 times in this game. Basically, it felt like the Florida-Tennessee game. Run the football, play good defense, and you're going to get yourself a win, and they did. Uh, and now we will see how West Virginia looks as they head into Big 12 play. Uh, now they're going to see a lot more explosive offenses and that they're going to have to try and slow down. Uh, staying in the Big 12, we had one of the few conference games of the week. TCU-Houston. And this is a game that we talked about. If Houston loses this football game, they were going to be in trouble. And not only did they lose this football game, but they lost big uh, to a TCU football team who had their own troubles with turning over the football. But Chandler Morris was able to do enough. Amani Bailey, the transfer from Louisiana Lafayette two years ago, was able to run the football effectively. But when I'm looking at Houston, where did that offense go? Yeah, um, you know, in my show notes for this game, all I have is the word bad written three times. Um, just Houston has so many problems. I mean, this looks like it's probably the worst team in the Big 12 right now, or at least certainly one of them. Um, you know, really abysmal showing at home to at home in your Big 12 opener. I mean, this program has been positioning for this moment for that day Saturday for a decade. Um, they've been trying to, to make that happen. It finally did, and it, it just really couldn't have been more of a disheartening performance. I, I think, to be fair, I think I'm sort of personally reevaluating my take on TCU a little bit after that Colorado game, just because I think the more time that passes by, the less bad a three-point shootout loss in that game looks. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, still not a great team, and I think that it, it's pretty disappointing. I think I think we're really approaching conversation time for Dana um, losing to rights last week to, you know, crosstown rival and then losing to an in-state conference rival. Now it just, this is not going well. I don't really see it turning around uh, anytime this year. And at the end of the day, this dude just has not really won anything there. Yes. And they do get a reprieve next week with Sam Houston, but then they got to go to Lubbock, Texas the week after play Texas tech, a team that has had their number in recent years. Donovan Smith, the transfer from Texas Tech, I thought this guy was going to do a lot to help out that program with the loss of Clayton Toon after he leaves the program. They bring in Donovan Smith, and the guy, he's turnover prone. He's not able to be effective, whether it's running the football, throwing the football. Uh, it felt like TCU had their number in this game. They've got a lot that they're going to have to figure out before they play Texas Tech in two weeks. Uh, and, and they better find out in a hurry because I think a matchup between Dana and West Virginia, it, it could be Neil Brown being the nail in the coffin uh, for Dana Holgerson, the guy who once held his job at West Virginia. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's edition where we're talking about games, and we're going to get into our playoff picks. Now, Tyler, I'm going to let you have the floor here first. Uh, who are the teams that you're looking at right now uh, as college football playoff, your top four. Yeah. 
Um, so not that the order particularly matters that much at this point in the year, but this is in order the way I would rank them one to four at this moment. Um, starting off with Georgia, look, I have my concerns. I have my questions. They've won still, I think, 20 or 21 games in a row now. Um, someone's got to prove it. Like I, I still think this team has a pretty easy path to the playoff. I don't think there's a game I'd pick them to lose at this current moment in time. So until then, they're staying there. Um, behind them, I have Texas, who – even with the way Alabama played and maybe the concerns we have about them still probably have the most impressive win of the year on the whole, uh, you know, winning at Alabama. Um, but, you know, I, I would say a team that I'm going to get to in a second might have an argument there, but I, I go with three, I go Michigan still. I do think Ohio state is improving, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm very curious how they kind of progress. We haven't really seen Michigan tested at all. Um, and Harbaugh will be coming back for the first time this week uh, against Rutgers. So I'm kind of curious to see how they look in that game against a team that's played okay to start the year. Um, and then finally at four, I've got Florida State, who, you know, beat LSU by a lot of points. You know, a team that might be pretty good. You know, maybe we need to reconsider how we thought about them. So, you know, that those are my four right now uh, in the order I put them in. All right. So I'm going to go Georgia. Texas, Florida State, this is in order, USC. Uh, Michigan, to me, they are a team that I think is going to be very good this year. I just haven't been overly impressed with them in three games. Uh, when you look at who they played and, and, you know, perhaps not having Harbaugh as part of that, but I'm interested to see how they look against Rutgers. Not that Rutgers is going to pose a threat to them. Uh, I don't expect them to win that football game. I think Michigan takes care of business. They're just not as explosive as I thought they would be with all the weapons that they had coming back offensively. USC is USC. Uh, I, you know, they have questions defensively, but offensively they can put up points with the best in the business. Uh, and obviously when you have Caleb Williams, uh, that helps you a ton. Uh, you know, Georgia is Georgia. Like we saw, we talked about and, and Florida state and Texas have two of the best wins of the season so far uh, going up against ranked opponents. Texas beating Alabama in Tuscaloosa, impressive. And just the way on a neutral side field, Florida State was able to handle an LSU team that is very explosive, as we saw this past weekend. And we saw what they did the week before, although it was lower tier talent that they were going up against. But I think for me, uh, I'm just going to swap out your Michigan with USC there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's understandable. I just my thing with USC is I, I'm kind of buying them a little bit. I think they might be better than they were last year. I just need to see it. I just need to see it. I need to see them do it against someone that is not uh, San Jose State, Stanford, or Nevada. Perfectly understandable, and, and I agree with you. And and that's why these debates are so much fun because we're not going to agree on everything. Speaking of not agreeing on everything, let's talk about our Heisman picks. Uh, he didn't look as good this week as he has in weeks past, but I'm still going to go with Quinn Ewers in my number one spot. Uh, so Tyler, who are you offering up in your number one spot on this week's Heisman? We'll call it a Heisman poll. I've got Michael Penix. Um, I've got him jumping Caleb Williams actually. And I, you know, I said last week when we talked about this, I think that if there's someone with a legitimate argument uh, over Caleb Williams, I think there's a good chance they'll get it. And right now, Michael Penix has that argument. Um, you know, very similar numbers the two of them do after USC had their bye last week. And I think that you know Penix has three really really talented receivers. That offense is built to produce yardage in the passing game. He, I mean, didn't miss a beat playing a Big Ten team, albeit 
not a great one that's going through some stuff right now. But I mean, I, I right now he's on pace, I think, to have the most prolific year, maybe even more prolific than Caleb Williams. I'm still going to go number two here. I'm going to stick with my guy, Marvin Harrison. Uh, you know, he's he's shown 14 receptions, three touchdowns on the year. May not have the numbers of maybe a Romo Dunaze at Washington, but I still believe when the game's really matter as they get into play. And we're going to see how good they look against the Notre Dame team, who has surprised a lot um, in this coming week. So I'm really interested to see how he performs. But uh, based on what he's done in the last several years, I'm going Marvin Harrison, that number two spot. Yeah, I think that's an interesting pick because I think as we've seen the Ohio State offense sort of settle in with with new quarterback Kyle McCord, who's now got the got the job permanently. I think we've seen them improve in, in terms of getting the ball to Marvin Harrison and just getting it in his hands. I think his role in the offense has increased a lot the last couple of weeks, and that is pretty makes me pretty optimistic about the way he'll you know be able to continue to develop alongside the rest of that group. Uh, in my number two spot, though, I've, I've still got Caleb Williams. I mean, you know, we didn't see him this week, so sort of not doesn't have the recency there. Uh, but, you know, still has looked pretty much undefendable uh, in the three games we've watched him play this year. So we'll see as he gets into Pac-12 play, play some tougher teams if that continues to be the case. Uh, but it was last year, and I think it probably will this year, too. I'm going to surprise some here. I'm going to go Dylan Gabriel. In the third spot. Now, he's a guy who hasn't really had a lot of opposition so far. Uh, but as they get into Big 12 play, uh, they definitely will. But it's just the, the efficiency that we're seeing Dylan Gabriel uh, throwing the football. They struggled a little bit against SMU, uh, but he's still able to put up his numbers. And we saw what he did this past week against Tulsa. Uh, that game was over early. But if he can continue to play at this level, it's going to be hard to keep him out of New York, especially if Oklahoma continues winning football games the way that they are. Yeah, I think that's an interesting pick because like Oklahoma hasn't really had to play a big game yet. So he hasn't really been on that big stage to get that kind of attention. But if he has a game like that, you know, when they play Texas or someone like that, that'll that would certainly be, you know, a big platform for him to sort of throw his name in that mix. Um, at my number three spot, I've got a guy who I think really has not been getting the attention in this conversation he deserves. Uh, we talked about him last week, but I've got Sam Hartman from Notre Dame. I think that Look, he hasn't thrown a pick yet this year. He's been really good through four games for Notre Dame. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is a team that, you know, despite subpar quarterback play in the past, has found itself in the college football playoff mix. Now they have a legit guy, you know, a guy that can make pretty much any throw you're asking him to elevate the offense to a significant degree. This is a team we're going to have to keep in mind for the playoff hunt. And if Sam Hartman is throwing the way he's played right now, leading a team that's in the playoff hunt, potentially in that four-team field, he I mean, I don't see any reason he's going to slow down. I think he's translated really, really well to, to sort of a higher-level offense than I expected. Leading the FBS in touchdowns this year, Sam Hartman, I will tell you this right now, Tyler. If they, if they beat Ohio State this weekend – I will put him. I will put him in my Heisman poll, back on my Heisman poll where I had him last week. But I will also put Notre Dame in the college football playoff along with Texas, Florida State, and Georgia as long as they keep winning. Uh, this is a great test uh, for Notre Dame to see where they are against Ohio State, a team that beat them early last year to open the season. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really fascinating game. I think Notre Dame's in a much better spot than they were when they played that game. 
But I think Ohio State is starting to figure it out too. Um, you know, haven't been really tested though, and we're going to kind of see for the first time how how this new look team handles it. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the College Twelve Pack. Uh, we will be back later this week as we preview Week Four. Much better games. A lot. A lot of teams are going to be back in conference play, so we're going to get a lot better matchups this weekend. Uh, but for Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you later.